Hello everyone and welcome to this episode of Project Shadow. My name is Charlie. You might know me better as sci-fi fantasy writer C.E. Dorset. And yeah, it's out. It's out. If you haven't gone to get your copy yet, Crucify My Love is out. So you can find it over at Audible. It is currently exclusive to... I'm sorry, I said Audible. Amazon. It is currently exclusive to them because... That's kind of a requirement for some things, but if you have a Kindle Unlimited subscription, you can read it for free with your Kindle Unlimited subscription. So definitely check it out, but I have something else that's kind of exciting to announce. The podcast is also out. Yeah. Ripped from his mother's womb in the violent storm that raised his hometown, Sister Death returned Shinobu's life, infusing her power into his bones. Now he is drawn to the sick and dying, with the power to heal them, at great cost to himself. Vicious thorns erupt from his bones through his flesh as he takes their suffering onto himself. After his childhood with the Breathless Sisters, he lives detached from those around him. Even though he travels the world with his brothers, he cannot imagine sharing his life with another. The days of the dead approach, an alluring imperial agent stirs deep feelings within him as the dead arise from the grave to torment and kill the living. Shinobu swears he will do everything in his power to save them, but how can he save the innocent when the dead stalk the village without remorse or weakness? What will he have to sacrifice to save them from the days of the dead? His beloved? His heart? Or his life? Find out in Crucify My Love, book one in the Mask of the Gods series by sci-fi fantasy writer C. E. Dorset. Yeah. It's out. I'm so excited. I've been working on this for so long. So... I, I did the music track that you hear in the background, and I did, of course, the voiceover, and I read the book, and I don't know by the time this episode comes out what podcatchers or podcast apps it will be available to download in, because that can take some time, so I'm going to remind you every day to go check, because I'm so excited about this project. But if you listen to me on Anchor... It is already out, so just search for Mask of the Gods, or go to anchor.fm slash maskofthegods, no spaces, no dashes, no nothing, and there it is. You'll find the trailer I just played for you, and if you have a podcast and you'd like to include that trailer to promo, I would love it if you do that. And, uh, yeah. You'll also find the uh, full audio of the theme, which I put together Almost three years ago now. That's just crazy. (laughs) That is just bizarre to think about. And as of the time you're hearing this, the first full episode will be out. And that's the first two chapters of the book. Every week, 
two more chapters will be coming out. I'm so excited. I'm so excited. You have no idea. Oh, I just want to do a little dance. So as you just heard, Crucify My Love is the first book in the Mask of the Gods series. Book two is already written, and that's Sanctify My Sins. I'm about to start writing book three, Glorify My Name, very shortly. This has been a labor of love for a very long time, and I can't believe that I can finally bring it to you. You guys can hear it. So, yeah. Or read it. Like I said, it's up over at Amazon. Both the uh, ebook and hopefully the print book should both be out over there. So, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm just so excited. Like, I, I really am having a hard time containing myself. So, other than the trailer that you just heard, what is Crucify My Love? Well, Crucify My Love is a book that was inspired by an ex-Japan song by the same name. And if I had the ability to, I would definitely play it right now so that you can hear it. But if you were, if you have a streaming service, I highly recommend you pause the episode, listen to that beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song, and then come back. If, if you can't do that, then go to YouTube. They actually have the music video of it up. Just search for Crucify My Love X Japan, and it's 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 a great track. Now, I, I really do mean it when I say that the song was inspired that was an inspiration for the book. The book is not about the experience that Yoshiki had that inspired the song. But while I was working on the project and trying to figure out what I was going to do. I just couldn't get that song out of my head. I woke up every morning. It was there. I went to sleep every night. It was there throughout the day. It just kept repeating and repeating and repeating. And it's such a beautiful track. It's such a haunting song. And I started kind of interrogating the lyrics and asking what they meant to me and what I what was it about this song in particular that really demanded a novel be written? And that took some time. And actually, <laughs> when I first started the outline for the book, I, I called the characters Yoshiki and Toshi after the lead singer and writer of the song. Um, Yoshiki plays the piano and drums for the band and he and Toshi put the band together and I had actually originally intended to keep those names as an even further homage for the inspiration but as I developed the characters and I realized how different they were from their original um inspirations. In fact, the only thing that the only two things that I can think of that they still retain from that original inspiration is like Toshi, uh, Hikaru loves to sing and has a beautiful singing voice and Shinobu like Yoshi, like Yoshiki is experiences a lot of pain to 
perform the art that he brings into the world. And really, that's just about it as far as similarities between them that remained. The characters kind of went their own way as development continued. When I got the idea for the Thornmen, the Thornkin, that became central to the book, I didn't want to link them too strongly to the original characters. And in fact, in some of the earlier drafts, I actually, I had characters named for, uh, um, for Taji and Hide. And that was just really going too far and was looking like really bizarre fanfic by somebody who didn't pay enough attention to the real life people that the names were taken from. So I, I quickly diverted from that and just really delved into what is the Thornkin, who are the Breathless Sisters that raised Shinobu when he was a child? What is life like in Kishan, where he and Hikaru are from? What is life like in the Sawyer Empire, which is where the story actually takes place in the village of Sans? How does the government work there? And developing the religion of the kindly folk. And all of that really came together to make the story what it is. Now, I say that I developed a lot of this. I, I had some ideas. By the time I started writing the book, I knew the characters' names, including Chewie, who, I'll be honest, I, I wanted the pilot of the ship to be named Chewie because I'm a Star Wars fan, and one of the criteria I had going into this is I was really wanting to do things that make me happy, and as a big fan of the Final Fantasy series of games, when they name characters and whatnot kind of in honor of other characters and you can see it, that that just makes me smile. And so I had the idea for a character named Chewie, who, while not being a Wookiee, would, you know, he'd have this beard and long hair and be kind of a biker. You know, in the original conception of the character, he was much more somebody who would be listening to Black Label Society than he ended up being. I mean, he's still got some of that biker racer in him, and you get to see a lot more of that in Sanctify than you do in Crucify. But, um, you know, his personality changed and his character changed, especially once I had his full name figured out and started looking into Tudoan culture and getting an idea of who he is as a person. Now, the Sawyers and the Tudowns are actually two um, states, and Tudow, I guess I should say, are two states that I had already previously developed for my work on the Untitled Ash Dancer book. And so I already knew quite a bit about them, and I liked the idea that I would be able to play around with characters from both of those settings. And in fact, Curate Abbott was originally conceived of as a character that might appear in that untitled Ash Dancer book. And I rather enjoyed the idea of getting to see him younger and getting to play around with how he got to be where he is and who he is as a person. When I started writing, the only character that 
wasn't in my head. And I've said this on numerous occasions, and it was completely and totally my fault. And that was Granger. Um, Abigail Granger, who you'll meet in a couple chapters, was not a character originally conceived for the book. In fact, I named her using Scrivener's automatic name generator. But that one was a good thing because I really like her name, Abigail Granger. And she took on a life of her own and became a very integral part of the story. And I'm glad she did because I really wanted to write a very intimate story. I have a tendency to write these sprawling tales where we meet dozens and hundreds of characters. And I wanted to keep this book, especially kind of small and intimate so we could really get to know the characters. I I wanted to spend as much time as I could with Shinobu and Hikaru and Chewie and Abbott and eventually Granger so that we could really understand who they are and how they're dealing with the supernatural happenstances around them. I, I, I'm glad she came about. It, it was a great m- missed opportunity for me and goes to show some of my own issues with, you know, not including women in my fiction. And I think that has to go with some of my own issues with gender that I feel like I have to live as a man because of where I live, because of the place that I'm in. And so I've suppressed a lot of those more feminine parts of my self, especially when I go out in public. And as a result, it, it has caused me to not write as many female characters as I want, something that I am remedying. There are more when we get to sanctify and it's something that I'm very conscious of as a problem in my fiction that I'm going to keep myself from doing going forward. So yeah, this book, unfortunately, and I feel weird even admitting this wouldn't pass the Bechtel test because there, while there are a couple other named female characters in the book, there's quite a few Granger doesn't talk to them, but she doesn't always talk about a man. So it's kind of gets half credit maybe. And that that's my fault. And I apologize for that, but I wanted to keep the cast as small as possible. And that made that, that caused that to happen. When I say that I wrote crucify my love without an outline that kind of requires me to back take a step back for a moment and say I have over the years internalized Zack Snyder's not Zack Snyder why did I do that I the save the cat beat beat sheet and it's kind of just in my head now when I'm writing a book so you'll notice that you can break this book down based on the beats from Zack Snyder's work but the only really th- the only real thing that I knew was going to happen when I started writing was the end of the book. The end of the book was the first thing that I actually thought of when I wrote it. And I did three pieces of artwork, one of which is now the cover, 
of the book depicting that happening. So I took the time to do an image that I knew that this is how the book was going to end. I wasn't entirely sure what was happening in the image because the image was just so strong in my head. And I, I didn't know, like I said, exactly what was happening and I didn't know how they were going to get there. But I, I did know the end at the beginning. And I did know about the Days of the Dead from the beginning. That That was one of the few things I was able to tease out when I got started writing, but everything else just came as it was done. So the story flowed in pretty much the exact same way that you see it in the book. There were some things that had to be fixed in the edit, of course, because there's always some stuff that you got to fix in the edit, but, um, for the most part, the story kind of flowed out intact with all of its elements and components there. And I'm being a little vague about that because I don't want to give spoilers yet, though I will, when I do episodes talking about the chapters that are out, do spoiler talk about those particular chapters. But right now I just want to introduce the book and hopefully get you interested in it because it it was such a labor of love. I mean, I've never spent three years working on something like this because like I said, I started this and I wrote the book in 2017. I then spent most of 2018. I wrote it at the end of 2017. I spent most of 2018 working on what I wanted the world to look like. So I kind of took what happened in the book and world built out of it and then built it back in and then did all the revisions and edits to the book and recorded it for audio, which is the other exciting thing that I've never done before for any book that I've done. For me, the magic that has never gone away from this, I, I said when I finished it that I may have just written the best book I will ever write. And I, I still kind of stand by that. And what I mean by that is this, this is one of those books that changed me in the writing. And we kind of wrote each other simultaneously. I learned so much from writing Crucify My Love and coming up with the ideas for what would be the Mask of the Gods series. I don't, I'm hoping that I'll be able to have that feeling again with other books, but it was so, it's so personal to me because of the, like I said, the lessons that I learned that I don't really want to spoil the kind of deep meditation on compassion and suffering that is present in this book, the question of, of love and what is love and what does family mean? You know, one of the things that strikes me most when I wrote the book and when I was reading back through it is twice in the book, Nobu refers to two completely different people as the closest thing he ever had to a mother. And that, I, and when I originally saw it, I thought it was a mistake. And I'll probably talk about this a lot when we get to those chapters, but 
when I originally saw that, I was like, oh, well, no, he already said that this other person was the closest thing he ever had to a mother because he was orphaned. I mean, his parents were killed before he was born. A magical storm, a squall breach broke out in his hometown. And as it was tearing the town apart, it literally ripped him unborn out of his mother's womb. And if you believe the tales of the breathless sisters, it killed him and sister death restored life to him so that he could be a keeper of the gate between life and death in this world. And so he didn't grow up with his biological family. He grew up originally with the breathless sisters at their convent and later with um, Hikaru's family, who he was sent to after they had taught him all they felt that he needed to know to control his powers and himself. So when I originally saw that he refers to two separate people as the closest thing he ever had to a mother, that, you know, looked like an error like oh no he's already said that he shouldn't say that again but i realized it was part of his internal monologue and he doesn't know what it means to have a mother because he didn't grow up with one he grew up like i said in a convent surrounded by the breathless sisters who are devotees to sister death who only speak when absolutely required to. They don't waste their breaths. And as a result of that, you know, he has a very different understanding of what family means. And a lot of this book really deals with the concept of the rational family and the cho- or the chosen family, however you want to refer to it. The, the family that you are a part of, not because of blood, but because of choice. And he refers to both Chewie and Hikaru as brothers. And it's interesting to see how he views that. But we also get to see from um, Abbott's point of view, what his life was like with his family and how he sees the um, members of the Kurenai, the uh, ship that they fly on which is, by the way, another reference to a song by X-Japan. Great song. Check it out. Um, and it's, it's kind of this recurring theme of Hikaru thinking about family and his lineage and where he is and how well he is keeping up his family name and traditions. And we see this also with Abbott. And it became a very strong theme in the book. And it's one that I wouldn't have expected. And it's one that I'm so glad that I didn't do an outline for the book. Because let's be honest, this is a story where basically a very supernatural zombie outbreak takes place in this village while they're there. And they're trying to figure out how to fix it, how to solve it, how to stop it. I wouldn't have thought to explore themes of compassion and family and love in the midst of something like that. 
but because I didn't have an outline and I just trusted the story as I was writing it, those became so powerful and so strong throughout the tale that I can't imagine this book without them. I mean, this is, you know, the, the, as much as I hate zombie books and this really isn't a zombie book, but I mean, you know, the walk, the dead do walk the streets in it. So I, I can't deny that it has zombies in it because somebody's going to call the dead that are walking around zombies. But, you know, I, I, I never would have thought to explore the themes that the book does if I had sat down to actually outline it. If I hadn't trusted that the book knew where it was going and allowed it to tell the story that it wanted to tell. And for me, though it is a bloody story, there is a lot of bloodshed in this story. It's not really a gory story so much. I mean, there's a little bit of gore, but it's not, you know, this isn't The Walking Dead. So if you're concerned about that, don't worry. It's not that kind of a story. And there is one love scene in the book that was really funny. When my husband read the book, I asked, and he told me what chapter he just finished. I asked him what he thought of the love scene. Uh, no, I said, what did you think of the sex scene? And he stopped and he said, what sex scene? And I went back and we reread that together. And he was like, oh, oh, yeah, it, I, I didn't see it as sex because of the way that it was written. And <laughs> I don't know how to take that, but it's, it's a very intimate scene, much more than it is a dirty scene or an, or a, I, I think it's erotic, but you know, it's not dirty. It's not pornographic. So you don't have to worry about that either. But all in all, I rather enjoy this book and everything that it has to say and everything that there are, that we meet in it, the characters that we meet, the story itself, the themes, the, just the magic and the way it works and the visceral way that magic fills the story. It's not an abstract thought. And that feels really bizarre to say, having read this book so many times in the edits and whatnot, but with all of the thoughts and theorizing about, you know, what's causing the dead to rise, magic is such a palpable thing in the story. I, I didn't, I, again, I don't think that's something that I would have done if I had outlined the book. I, I I can't wait to hear what you all think about it. I, I This is a true labor of love. And yeah. So if you would like to get a print version or the ebook, you can go to Amazon and search for Crucify My Love by C.E. Dorset. It's there. Um, like I said, it, it takes time for each... Um, podcasting service and directory to add new podcasts. But if you search for mask of the gods, because I'm going to put all of the books on the same podcast feed. So they're going to be different seasons in the book. Um, so just search for mask of the gods and I'll keep you updated where it is. If you're listening on anchor, it's already there. If you enjoyed this episode, 
and the app that you're listening to me on allows you to rate either this episode or the podcast as a whole please do that that helps out a lot that tells the algorithm to share me with more people um if you've got a a dollar you can spend if you go down in the show notes you'll see a link that says support on anchor if you click that you can join the project at the one dollar five dollar or ten dollar levels that money does help out a lot it allows me the comfort to put the book out for free like this in ebook form um and you if you want to make sure you know support that book if that's what you want to see more of or this podcast either way it's all good um if you don't have the money right now that's fine um just share these podcasts with people that you think will also enjoy hearing them if you have any questions or comments you can hit me up on twitter i'm ce dorset on twitter or you can go to anchor.fm download the anchor app follow project shadow and you'll see a voice message button if you click that you can ask me a question comment or topic you'd like discussed on the show and keep it clean so i can use it thank you so much and until next time don't forget have the fun bye